Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 719. My mantra is, doesn't have a lot of rocket science uh, applied to it. It's uh, make a plan and stick to it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Dan Panos. Hey, Dan, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I absolutely am. I'm ready to go. All right. Dan Panos is the owner at Panos Engineering Services in Houston, Georgia. The company was founded in 1989 with the goal of creating a small volume manufacturer with the mantra, reliability, value, performance. And the result was the Panos Roadster, a Class 2 performer, two-seat Ford-powered sports car. And in 1996, the second-generation Roadster was created, and in 2000, the third vehicle, the Panos Esperante, was born. The Esperante is both sports car and GTS spec racer, and in 2006, they won their class in the 12 Hours of Sebring and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Panos Engineering continues to offer special projects, services, to outside companies while building the Panos Road and race cars built to order for customers today. And Dan's father, Don Panos, was a guest here on Cars Yeah about a year ago today. So Dan, I have told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you and your business. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your company and your passion for automobiles? Well, right now, Panos Engineering focuses on a project-by-project basis of doing engineering and or design for in-house work, which has kept me pretty busy, or uh, also offering those services to outside. But uh, as you said, in 1988, 1989, I jumped in with both feet into the automotive business. For lack of a better word, it's, uh, I guess it was always in me to do it, and it's, uh, it's an extreme passion. And it's one of those businesses that everybody advises you not to get into, but once it's in your blood, you know, you can't help yourself, and it's uh, what I love to do, and it's what I've dedicated my life to doing. Well, I know you're a busy guy. I'll tell our listeners. We're recording this early on a Monday morning, but uh, I was on the phone with Dan over the weekend up, and he was still at his office at 8 o'clock on a Sunday night working. So uh, this is a guy that works really hard and definitely has followed in his father's footsteps. We had a great time talking with your dad about a year ago about the company and his involvement as he got into racing, and uh, he jumped in both feet as well. So I think uh, motor oil runs in your blood in your family. And as we continue on your automotive journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Dan, take the wheel. Well, my mantra is, doesn't have a lot of rocket science uh, applied to it. It's uh, make a plan and stick to it. Ah, yes. uh, any, anything you undertake to do in automobiles, are, especially today with all the regulations, are very complicated. But you can break it down step by step, and it's, it, it's a process. The most important thing in your process as you move along is, uh, if it's in a line, don't, uh, uh, don't do anything that unravels the work that you've just done. Make sure that your plan at the current step fills all its obligations. And also look forward and make sure that the work that you're currently doing or what you've done in the past doesn't interrupt or uh, upset any of the work that you plan to do in the future. I would say that's a great way to go through business, that idea of create a plan, work a plan. And the company and the business you're in is 
engineering, technology, safety. I mean, there's so many regulations and things that you guys have to stick to to make sure that your cars are safe, your customers are safe, and the things that you're building for people are exacting to their requirements. So uh, definitely planning has to be in the DNA for Panos Engineering. Let's go back in time a little bit. I'd like for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realized that you were indeed a car guy? Yeah, I can go back to the early earliest memories. And again, like millions of others, you know, you're, what, five, maybe five or six years old and, and you're getting the Hot Wheels. I was the <laughs> kid that walked around with the little fold-up Hot Wheel garage with my collection of cars and everything in it. Yeah. I remember vividly the first time, and you know, I was this was growing up in West Virginia, one of my favorite cars in my Hot Wheel collection, I didn't really know what it was, I was five or six, was a uh, a white fastback Mustang with blue stripes, which <laughs> was a Shelby GT350. Yeah. And I'll forget, the family went bowling, and I, as we were parking, there was a Shelby in the parking lot, and it, it just kind of blew me away. And I also remember at an early age, Don went to test, my father, he went to test drive a primrose yellow E-type Jag coupe. Ooh. And uh, uh, he was getting his hands around the uh, the manual transmission, but I was stuck in the back in the little um, the little package tray area with the windows. But I'll never forget, and I can I can see the whole thing and play it like a video, you know, in my mind today. Yeah. You know, the, the smells, the sights, the, the interior just how cool the whole experience was. You know, the sound of the thing, I was right there probably, what, a foot above the mufflers back there <laughs> on the package tray? Yeah, exactly. Uh, experiences like that, you know, just really grabbed me to my core. It, it never, ever went away. So I was, I was always a car enthusiast, great enthusiasts of aviation and mechanical stuff. So Yeah, it sounds like it. You know, those uh, early Jaguar E-type coupes. So you're sitting ba- basically in the luggage compartment back there because there were no back seats in that car, right? Uh, there might have been like little two plus two kind of seating, but I was all the way. Hey, as a kid, I grew up in the back of a station wagon, like yeah. millions of other Americans, and uh, so I that was my spot for whatever reason. Back, back there, crawl around. Yeah, my dad had a friend with an XKE when I was probably six years old, which would have been the mid late sixties, and uh, I remember him coming over and giving me a ride in that thing. His was a convertible, so I remember looking up at the trees going by and the sounds, and ah, uh, just beautiful beautiful cars but just the visuals the dna of a car like that i mean everybody's got to remember you know in the 60s when you came across something like an e-type jag what a completely different context it was to regular automotive it was it was a real standout and you know when when you compare you know what was a special car in those days compared to so many good cars out there today but the differences back in the 60s and 70s on something like that was it was it was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. You know, what, what an impact that car made. Absolutely. And considering at the time, my dad was driving a 47 MGTC as a daily driver. So talk about the contrast for me sitting in that car into the, the Jaguar and then 
my parents getting an Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. Yeah, you couldn't get very different in the range of vehicles back then. Well, Dan, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You're in a business that is fraught with ups and downs, challenges, and maybe some failures along the way. So I'd love for you to share a huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way in your career. Of course, the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. So take us there, walk us through it, and then tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your career and your business. Well, one of the things that stands out in my mind when we were working on the Brucey project, there's the obvious challenge of doing something for the market. There's the obvious challenge of, of doing the mechanicals on the car. And we had stuck to our formula of RVP, even on that car. It was based on a stock off-the-shelf platform. You gain the performance out of doing a better chassis and a lighter vehicle. Uh, all of that, All of that went well. When we went to EPA certify it, with everything being stock, which we had done successfully so many times with the Ford products, we got to the point on doing some EPA testing for the Abruzzi, uh, and it had more rubber and, and more everything else. And uh, we were failing the drive-by test in hmm. EPA. And the drive-by test is, uh, is a noise level at 70 dB, 73 dBs, which is, you know, basically your car has to be at full throttle as quiet. Pretty much, you can compare it to a normal conversation. That that amount of noise. Right. We even did we even did the drive by test with the engine shut off, just to, as a comparison. And uh, we were getting the same reading, and that was all because of um, tire noise. Oh. At the test track. Okay. But we also had a, a, a glitch with the EPA because uh, GM at that time was doing certification with a seasoned motor that had a hundred thousand miles on it, and the logic is. If the paired season motor is meeting emissions, then then a new one will. Mm. Well, we were only getting brand new engines from GM and stock. We weren't touching anything. We were using the complete uh, EPA system, everything, and they were failing by by a smidge because they weren't seasoned. But that's as a small volume manufacturer, that's all we had to work with. So you know, you deal with that failure, and we'd never run into a failure like that before in any kind of DOT and EPA testing, and uh, we couldn't overcome it. But, but the lesson was, you know, e- even on stuff like search, there is, you know, when you're, when you're going along, don't get too comfortable with yourself. There is no such thing as a sure thing. Yes. <laughs> Holy cow. What was the power plant you were using? ZR1. The ZR1. Okay. Okay. The LS engine. LS9. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic motor. Yeah. How did you overcome that? Full throttle and everything else. But the, we got the car really quiet for European specs. But, the, you know, the most of the noise is being made by the tires hmm. as, as we did the roll by. And we were failing it by less than one dB. Oh. <laughs> we tried everything. Wow. And, and couldn't gain that one dB. It was like so close to the, to the cliff of being able to, to jump off. And at the same time, you just, just couldn't get there. Uh. But, you know, there was, there was more advanced drivetrains coming in the next year or so. So we just kind of, everything just kind of ended up on the shelf. Oh, my gosh. And, and the second thing that, you know, if you want to talk about, kind of overcoming a failure, maybe a failure you don't overcome. When you get so wrapped up in the car world, you know, and the work that's involved to get it done, you know, my kids now are older and they're grown and some of them got uh, children and everything is don't, don't take your wife and your kids for granted Uh because time goes by so fast. Yeah. So I, I missed a lot of early years with my kids and would give anything to get that back and just be able to spend a little bit more time with them. Uh, Yeah, been there, done that. Yeah, absolutely. And we always think, oh, we'll have time later. We'll have time later. And I heard an interesting stat. I have two children of my own. They're grown adults now. And it said that by the time your child is 12 years old, you've already 
spent about 90% of the life you'll have with them. Now, that's as a child. Oh, wow. Yeah, as a child. Because by the time they're 16, 18, they're gone. Off to college, and that's it. You know, and if uh, they don't come home after college, then that's it. They're gone. So, uh, yeah, words of wisdom for you young parents out there. I tell other parents this, too. Time goes fast. They nod their head, but uh, it goes by fast. So, yeah, take the time. A car project takes three years, and it seems like your kids grow up in two weeks. I don't know where the time goes. <laughs> I know. It's scary. They're 10 to, to the time that they're late teens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Words of wisdom from a guy who's been there. Well, let's shift gears, Dan, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when those headlights kind of illuminate a new path for you to drive down. Tell us how you turn that aha moment into a success. Uh, I guess my aha moment was before I had got into the business, I was working, I guess, almost full-time trying to figure out, you know, in, in Europe, you had this great environment for small-volume manufacturers, Aston, Lotus, and a lot of them in England, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, of course, the Italians are great, but there's, there's two big ones there with Ferrari and Lambo. Yeah. But, uh, you know, England was kind of like the Easter egg nest of small-volume manufacturers. And, you know, and they're just magic cars. They all got personality. They all got DNA. Uh, the ones that do it right and have been around a long time, there's just a, a wonderful essence about those vehicles. And I kept wondering why nobody in the state, why can't you have small volume manufacturing in the United States mm -hmm. in the same fashion that you do in Europe? And one of the big reasons for that is Europe, and now the United States has taken this approach, but, but Europe at the time had a provision that allowed small volume manufacturers to exist. In fact, the regulations recognize that you know, you have very large companies, but you also have very small companies. Mm. And they had provisions that, that allowed them uh, to produce. And in the States, at that time, all the way up until, you know, 2011, 2012, you're either GM or you're Ford, and those regs apply, and there's no in-between. When I was looking at these, these vehicles, and I had started by bringing in, um, I had toured around England and seen all the factories and toured all of them and immensely enjoyed that. And, and every, every car factory has its own culture. Yeah. But uh, I had started importing the AC Autocrats, which was a continuation of the Cobras. Mm -hmm. But they were fully certified in the, in the mid-'80s, and Ford had a 50% ownership in them under Michael Krampus. And I thought, you know, it's brilliant. They're, they're taking something that's old and it's got all that romance and, and personality, and they're, and they're fitting it out which, with was the latest stuff that Ford had at the time, um, you know, their their famous 5.0 motor. Yeah. And it was sold in certified form. You know, remember, this is pre-airbags. So they did a great job of keeping the car exactly as people like to remember it. And the certification issues that they had to address were very cleverly hidden within the car. In other words, what I'm trying to say is there's nothing about the outside of the car that was that was telling you that it had all of this government-regulated equipment and, and sanctions on it. Okay. So they did, a great, they did a great job on that, and I thought they were really onto something. But then at the same time, I realized that, you know, they would take an engine, and then they would have to fit it to a different transmission, and they'd have to make all kinds of changes to fit it into the original chassis, mm -hmm. and the exhaust couldn't stay the same, and the wiring couldn't stay the same. So at the end of the day, they were, they were doing what the Ford contents was designed to do, but they had to take all the kinds of different approaches. And that's where I was looking at it and go, there's an easier way to do this. Uh, if you're going to use off-the-shelf drivetrain to meet certification requirements and make the car reliable and serviceable, which I thought was brilliant, right. it wasn't tuned, 
You know, it was anybody could could service this car anywhere in the country. Right. But if you took if you took all of the contacts, not just an engine, the, the radiator, the hoses, the electrical system, you know, part part of the brakes and everything else, you could create a special car that could be 100% serviceable anywhere in the nation. Mm. And you could you could leverage, for example, at, at dealerships or at a Ford dealerships, all the service techs that uh, the dealerships have spent quite a bit of money training them into to how to maintain and operate them. So I was taking a little bit of the magic of what they were able to achieve and, and kind of let the DNA of the product shine through without people being aware of the, of the regulatory requirements. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, simplify it even more to make it more of an affordable, reliable car. And, you know, one of the things that I'm always struggling with or was in those days was everybody's view of a small volume car is it's really cool and it's really interesting, but it's unreliable. Nobody can work on it. You can't get parts. Right. You know, right. This typical love-hate relationship. And I'm like, well, who, who made the rule that says that you can't have a, a, a crafted uh, special car that's actually not a pain in the butt uh, to own, that you can service anywhere? And it doesn't cost you a fortune that anybody can work on. You've right. just got to set about the process of integrating the engineering uh, with the total design that allows that to take place. Mm. And you've got to be very careful that you don't let uh, those things creep in on you, which, you know, in, in the development process of the car, there's you've always surrounded yourself with really good technical people and enthusiasts. For example, I mean, we're, we've got our own motorsports facility, so they're saying, well, let's tune the motor up, let's this and that and the other. And I was always resisting it because, yeah, but who's going to service it after that? The guy's in North Dakota and a, and a water hose goes bad. Right. He doesn't want to wait two weeks or hear the stories about service or parts. He just wants his car fixed. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah kind of, again, make a plan and stick to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to stick, stick to the guns with that. But at the end of the day, I'll say this. From the Roadster's very first one all the way through the Esperantes and, and even through the uh, Brutzi prototyping process, we had really managed to maintain the ability of the car to be to be owned and serviced by anyone. Mm, cool. Uh, if you take advantage of the dealer networks, either through GM or Ford, you know you've typically got over five thousand locations nationwide that that are trained to service your vehicle. Right. If you leave the content alone. Yeah. So long story, but that was kind of my aha moment back, and I guess it was nineteen eighty seven, and that kind of set that that ball in motion of. You know, a, a car, for lack of a better word, I like to describe it. You've got the styling, you've got the engineering, but it, it's really when you look at a wagon wheel, every one of those items from, you know, from design to engineering to certification to reliability to, you know, even to luggage capacity and all these things are spokes on a wagon wheel. Right. And you got to have all the spokes or you got to have a rough ride. Uh, yeah, very well said. It was 1987 when I, when I, I kind of looked at an automobile as, as a number of elements that, that had to really work together. So, and, and that's in good, in, in good stead. Our, our cars have a reputation for being easy to own and, and absolutely, you know, they have bulletproof reliability. Wow. I, you know, it's just so many moving parts. You have to think about the technology, the regulations, which are massive, of course, in this country. So, uh, wow. <laughs> well done. What a story. Well, how about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many. You guys have had so many successes, but is there one that stands out for you that you would share? Yeah, there's two of them, actually. And I've got to tell you, at, at the time when it happened, I actually couldn't process the information. One, which is the romantic one was in 2006 when we won Le Mans. Oh, yeah. And akin to that in every way was when we won the Trans Am Championship. There was 12 races in the year, 
right? Mm-hmm. We're racing against Mustang, Camaros, Jags, and uh, Corvettes, and uh, things like that. Out of 12 races, we won seven, came in second three times, came in third twice. So we were on the podium every race. Incredible. With Forrest the Monster, who's, I think, the best coupe driver in the world at that time. Yeah. He was a gladiator. He's a past guest here on Cars, yeah, as well. He's awesome. Yeah. Great guy. I've always loved him. I, I know he's got, uh, he's a little bit of a loose cannon, but, you know, there's so <laughs> few people in the world that say what they think. You can love it or leave it, as they say. Yeah. But uh, I, I love Borsay. But one of the proudest moments from a technical standpoint, when we got done with the Esperante, and you got to remember, we're a small volume manufacturer. We're not Ford. We're not GM. Oh, yeah. But the process with the modular chassis and everything, when we got done with all the crash testing, our car was performing in crash testing in the top 1% of anything that ever been created. So it was an extremely safe car with great occupant protection. And wow. nobody's today touch wood that I know of has ever been hurt in one of our cars. Wow. Magnificent. So, yeah. uh, the, the, the fact that we can do something and hit the, hit the romance buttons with something that's crafted and special, but also be a small manufacturer, uh, introduce new technology. Uh, we, were, we were big proponents of, uh, of aluminum construction. But at the end of the day, make, make something from a safety and a federal standpoint that was scoring top marks was really, really proud of that. Oh, yeah, as you uh, should be. And Le Mans, it, it didn't sink in what happened at Le Mans until at least a couple of years later. I was absolutely speechless at the time. Yeah, I, I can't, can't imagine. Wow. Well, congratulations. Awesome accolades on both of those occasions. Absolutely. Let's have a little bit of fun again and go back in time. I'd love for you to share your first really special car and a memory that you have with that vehicle. I think a lot of people, or a lot of people, and and I'm the same, there's no rocket science to this. My first really special car was my first car. Yeah. And it was an absolute heap of crap. It really (laughs) really was. It was a Morris Minor, and I paid... 40 pounds for it, which is like 80 bucks. And the only thing you could say about it was, although you could see through it in many, many places, <laughs> um, is that it actually ran. And Don let me take over the garage and work on it. And I had this thing blown all over the place. And yeah. I worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, was doing all kinds of things. And, you know, he told me, he says, I want my garage back politely. And if you don't have it together by Christmas. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're being evicted. <laughs> It, it, exactly. Well, he, he sold it to the traveling show in, uh, when I was away because I didn't have the, uh, the, I didn't hand the garage back to him. So the, the first thing about uh, my first lesson about knowing what a deadline is. Yeah, yeah. There's a consequence for not meaning it. Yeah, he sold it to the county fair, and I had painted it a bright metallic green, and, and uh, they ended up jumping it through the um, hoop of death, flaming death <laughs> for the crowd, the crowd pleaser. Oh, my and gosh. Thought, Damn, that thing had brand new tires on it and everything. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, lessons hard learned. But I love that car. You know, it's your first car. You're, you're, you're around it. You're crawling around it. You got this vision for what it can be. Right. So, so nothing, you know, nothing really replaces your first car, I don't think. It's like your first love. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is first time for that kind of a story here for a first car. Yeah. So, yeah dad unloads the car and it flies through the uh, the hoop of death flames. So uh, very yeah, nice. They had something. They, they ramp jumped it and off it. Off it went so and i was i was away at school so i didn't get to see that happen oh goodness yeah back before the days of cell phones and video so i heard about it everybody said it was my as i already say oh that was mighty crack when they did that (laughs) sounds like it oh goodness that's funny 
Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a car that you've owned or let go that you really wish you had back? Yeah, um, there is. For many, many years, I was, uh, even before I was in the business, I was a Type 1 Volkswagen fanatic. Oh, okay, yeah. And I loved it because I respected the simplicity of what they achieved back then. That car stayed in production for 35 years. Right. So it's one of the world's most produced cars. Uh, and I had gears and all kinds of stuff. And I was just married, and uh, uh, I had just finished up a really nice ski up. And uh, we left the handbrake off the first day we brought it home, and we totaled itself out against the tree. Oh, no. Uh, so I got, I got mad and bought a uh, Mustang Fastback from a guy a couple doors down from me. And this is, you know, this is the 80s, you know, early 80s. Right. So a thousand bucks got you a Mustang Fastback back then that was run, and I had it put together, painted, and done and that car got totaled out three times oh, uh, in, the, in the 20 years that I had it. Now, oh my gosh. The, the, odd thing, the odd thing about this poor car is, is that every time it was totaled out, it was never on the road being driven. It was always parked when somebody ran into it. Oh, geez. Uh, that happened twice. And the third time, I had just finished restoring it all the way, paint everything. This is in the course of 20 years that I owned the car. And just had it repainted, and it was ivy green. It was perfect. I'd gone up to Detroit to have a meeting, and it came back, and uh, uh, my, my wife says, Jesus, you wouldn't believe the hailstorm we had yesterday. And I go, well, and I was only doing a day trip, right? So right. I left it parked outside. And I go, you pulled the car inside. She goes, no, why? Oh, ouch. Went out the next morning, you know, because I got home late at night, and it was literally like a waffle. Oh, no. Anyway, uh... we... Uh, I, uh, a testament and a plug to the painless dent guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We replaced the hood, the front fenders, anything that would bolt off, but but the roof and the tail of the car was integrated with the body. Right. And he flawlessly removed about 270 dents out of that car. Oh, my god! And I got it back. But, but at one point, I sold it, and, you know, it wasn't the most perfect Mustang in the world, but as the guy says, there are many like it, but that one was mine. And uh, I, I, I miss that car. Uh, sometimes cars are just magnets for things. I don't know why that is, but sometimes they are. Yeah. Well, let's talk about today. What What are you doing there at Panos Engineering today that has you really excited and fired up? Well, we're working on some new projects today. Unfortunately, I can't talk about them, but uh, uh, we're working with some manufacturers overseas, and there is a new plan with some products coming, and I'm working on, on that, on engineering and integration and yeah. certification. So, Very and that, cool. that's really exciting. It's a departure from what we had, mm-hmm. from what we've been doing, but it's a really interesting project in this model. Plus, we're looking at a couple things for some other folks that are that are interesting. But unfortunately, NDAs keep me, of course, prevent me from talking about them. You know, w- w- one of the things, you know, you get the opportunity to build your own cars. That's great. And one of the things that I've never had a problem doing with any of the projects we worked on for for other folks is I've always managed to get just as excited about their project as they, as they are. You mm, know? So you, yeah. you try to knuckle down and, and see the vision for what they want to achieve, and you, you go about working on it. And it may not be your first choice of what you would do for yourself, but when you get to take your experience and expertise and work in somebody else's green, that, that's very uh, uh, fulfilling. So I'm yeah. always excited uh, about anything that I'm working on. Uh, So the the enthusiasm to date has never waned. Awesome. Great. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Dan. If you were a car, 
What kind of car would Dan be and why? This was the toughest question on your list. <laughs> and your question says, if you were a car, what would you be? And more importantly, why? And then you say, this isn't what you want. Right. But instead, how you perceive yourself manifested in a car. Exactly. I can promise you, if I'm driving the car and I'm also the car, I, I don't want to be a car. <laughs> but if I had to be any car, which doesn't really answer your question for fun, I, I have to say, if I'm going to be any car in the world, how about being that James Bond DB6 acid Martin with all the gizmos and the toys? And, <laughs> there you go. You know, all the hot chick Bond girls you get to host every now and again. <laughs> now you're thinking. But Very nice. But uh, to, to, to be a car that represents some of the things that I respect most, mm-hmm. I, ironically, the, the technical tour de forces, some of the cars that I've got the most respect for, deep respect for, are the vehicles, for example, like the Beetle, like the Mini, uh, like a good pony car, uh, mm-hmm. the, the French Du Chabot. These were all blue-collar core cars that had to be done for very little money. Right. Yeah. And I remember even in the 70s, and nobody liked them, but the Du Chabots, you know, you, know, you could buy them brand new for 700 bucks. But <laughs> right. The, the thing is about every one of these cars, and they're all completely different, was they were very simple in nature. They worked to a measure that was way beyond the sum of their parts. Mm-hmm. Very cleverly put together. Yeah. Saying where a guy said a really, really good engineer can do what, for 10 cents, what the rest of them can only do for a dollar. Ah, yes. So, so when you find vehicles that have, and you know, they may not be a, a short wheelbase Ferrari, but they've got the ability to be simple, durable, reliable, uh, and with a long shelf life, they built the Beetle for 30 years. Uh, the build of the Mustang 50 years later really hadn't changed that much since the 60s in the DNA. The Minis and the Duchebeaus and cars like that. Right. Some of those touristy forces of just being a car that got the job done are, are some of the things I respect the most. Uh, ironically, anything like that, that 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 just gets the job done. Is if I had to be a car, I'd be more than happy being one of those. That makes sense coming from your engineering background. Well, Dan, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisv.com. 
kimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, FINRA SIPC. Okay, Dan, we are back and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? The best automotive advice anybody in the car business ever receives is the question, you know how to make a small fortune in the auto business. <laughs> it's the same as racing? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the catch is we forge on and ignore it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's a great byline for uh, for what that's really all about is start with a large fortune, but uh, very well said. And keep plowing. And keep plowing. Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? I'm stubborn, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Tenacity, yeah. persistence. Yeah, those things work really well. Once you have a plan, if you make a plan and it works, then you just knock down the pegs. And there's always a peg that says it's a great idea. And four year pegs are in a row. But this fifth and the sixth one you'll never overcome. And and I'm just like, no, no. I have got peg number five and peg number seven is holding the whole train up. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you just gotta stick to it and and, and figure a way uh, of knocking down the obstacles so that you you know, the, the five hundred foot view vision can take place. Yes, absolutely. Now, how about resources? There's lots of great resources out there these days, but is there one in particular that you could share with us? One of the companies, and it, and it took me 15 years to realize this, that I, I think is one of the best you know, companies for anybody in the auto development uh, world to work with, was our relationship we had with Superform USA, mm. where we started doing the aluminum bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, as years went by, we got involved in various engineering projects, and we worked with because the clients or, or whomever would, would require different sources to be used. But, you know, one of the things I realized with Superform USA, which is, you know, I remember talking to a guy who was working with a guy, you know, from Detroit. And he goes, that's not how this, that business works. It's always this way. And I go, no, it's not. We've never had that experience. Hmm. And he was talking about getting body tooling done. There's always engineering changes. There's always there's always additional costs. There's always something that can't be formed, and you've got to redesign and find a way about it. And that was never our experience with Superform USA as a small volume manufacturer, you know, and now they're doing stuff for just about everybody yeah. in the automotive world. We worked with them from day one, and we never had a change order, and it was never late, and it was always on time, and it was always done. And it was just one of those companies where you say, I want to do this, and you work with them, and you get exactly what you ask for. Nice. And compared to some of the Detroit guys, says, oh, that's not how that works. It's like, well, they're wrong. There is a company out there that does it. And it took about 15 years to realize that how good they were, but they're just phenomenal. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would it be? There's fun guys you want to have a drink with, but there'd be lots of those colorful characters on the list. Yeah. But to really have a drink and pick his brains, it would have to be Henry Ford. And people say, well, he invented the tea. And, and I look at Henry Ford and he become a little bit of a study. He, he didn't in, just invent the tea. That was a product. He had to invent the assembly line. He had to invent the tools that work on the assembly line. I mean, today you can order so much stuff off. It's hard enough to build a car, right? Yeah. But, you know, today you need a surface plate. You can get one. If you need power in your plant, you call out the electric company. Yeah. He had to overcome all those things. It wasn't electricity in the day that he was building the tea. He had to get his friend to, to build a large steam engine that provided power. He had to build his own power plant. Yeah. Then he had to his own hand tools. Then he had to, to work out the line. So it wasn't just the car. 
It was the entire process of, of product, the production line, and including half the tools and methodologies that we take for granted today to be able to build it. Yeah. So, you know, the things I'd love to talk to them about is, you know, the cars are hard enough. How on earth did you achieve all of that and stick with it right. and not get lost? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Great perspective there. Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you've read that you'd like to share with the Cars Yeah audience? Automotive book that just tickles me to death. It's a romantic piece, but it's, it, you know, open road. Open road. Okay. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources Dan has shared on his show notes page at carsyeah.com slash Dan Panos. And if you have a chance, go back and listen to his dad's show as well for an interesting perspective on father-son. Two different guys uh, came from the same place. Uh, that's a great show, and you'll find it on the Cars yeah website under Don Panos. All right, we are up to the checkered flag, Dan, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. If you could have only one really cool collector car in your garage— but money's no object to buy you anything in the world today. But you can't sell it. You got to keep it and drive it and enjoy it. What would it be and why? GT40. A GT40. Well, early car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Very nice. That one's always had me by the shorts. And uh, the, the aura of, the, of that car is as strong as it was back in the day. But why I, I really love it is is the, the really clever mix between you know, Anglo technology and uh, American technology all wrapped up in this buxom shape is phenomenal. Yeah, I had the, the luxury of being on the lawn at Pebble Beach last summer when they had all those GT40s there. And the Saturday night before the show, they had them all lined up special. And they had uh, one of the Ford member, Ford family members there to get a picture with him uh, with those yeah. cars. And uh, that was just so cool. I mean, you see all those cars together, absolutely spectacular. Very nice. Is there one in particular you'd like, since there's so few of those around? Um, now, you're going to catch me out on, on the technicalities. It was the later marks that got a little bit heavier with the big blocks. Yeah. They're a little bit weighty. It was the first-generation cars that were done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and as a funny story, when we first moved to Ireland in 1969, you know, everybody went over there, and kids, family, everything, they gave up everything. So we had a first Christmas, and Don got a Skeletric set. Mm. And on the Skeletric set was a P4 Ferrari and a GT40. And I, for whatever reason, I had that Skeletric set, I guess, into my teens. Yeah. And I finally gave it to a buddy of mine in Ireland who I'm still friends with. So 25 years later, I go over to his house, and he goes, hey, you remember this? <laughs> How cool. <laughs> it was the old Skeletric set. The tires were all uh, dried up and shriveled up. Yeah. But the motor still ran. And we spent the entire day putting this thing back together and getting it run and we we only could get the tires to work by soaking them in um nail varnish remover which kind of melted them right made them sticky again yeah and i was so tickled by that but the gt40 was british racing green with a yellow nose and that's the that that livery and paint scheme on that style is the one that's always put a nail in my heart and I, and I told him at the end of the day, I said, well, Sid, I gave this to you. He says, hey, well, I'll give you $1,000. I want it back. And he told me to bugger off. He wouldn't sell it. <laughs> you can't have it back. It's mine. Oh, but you get it back. Yeah, it's like a plastic Skeletric car that's beat to hell. And it's like, no, I'm keeping yeah, it. Well, you can go over and play with it anytime. So. <laughs> but that color scheme on that car going all the way back to 69 – as uh, uh, and there's there's one or two out there that have that scheme on it, but if yeah. I had to have one, it would be it would be in that livery for sure. Yeah, very nice. 
Well, Dan, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you rip off down the track in that Ford GT40? Two of them, actually. When anybody has a plan for for business or what they're personally working on, again, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. If there's seven pegs that got to be hammered down, typically four or five of them will easily fall into place. It's it's don't give up on on the two and make sure that the two pegs that are causing your problems uh, don't disturb the master plan. So you got to figure a way to get those done that lets the the, the whole plan take take place as you originally envisioned it. Right. And the second most important thing I see today is people need to get their face out of their cell phone. I watch people and for so many people, they become a slave to their email and they're spending half their day keeping up with their phone. Yep. And it's like, you put your phone down and go to work. <laughs> there you go. Great, great advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your company? Uh, I don't have a website. I'm doing so much stuff with, uh, with internal stuff. So, and I, I, I just try to stay focused on it, but, uh, uh, they can always get, uh, through to me through the other companies or, or, uh, it's my cell phone. <laughs> but of course yours will be laying on a table. You won't be looking at it. So <laughs> yeah. or, or my email. No, I do. I get to it, but I, I, I don't, uh, I don't always respond to it right away. You know, I, I, I try to finish up what I'm doing and then I'll go back and, right. And, and, and check. So right. it's like, I'll, I'll keep in on the phone like twice a day in the email and early on to see if there's something critical. And then, and then at the end of the day, and, and then I sum it up, but I don't, I try not to let, uh, let it occupy uh, the, the core of my working day. Absolutely. Well, what I'll do is on your show notes page here at carsyad.com on the website, I'll put the link to the Panos Cars of course, the same link yeah. as I have for your dad's. I think that's a great start for people. You can throw my email address out there. That's fine. Okay, there we go. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Dan has shared with us today on his show notes page at carsyad.com slash Dan Panos. Hey, Dan, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your automotive experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners and me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks so much, Mark. You're welcome. The pleasure's been all mine. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.